So it is wonderful to see you all, and I'd, I'd like to just I'd like call you all out by name that I know, but of course, uh, Father Nathan, Father Scott, we'll just take about, uh, Scott was 18 when I first met him. Uh, and that's, uh, that's just amazing. Uh, so years go by. Uh, and it's always wonderful to be here, of course. And when I am town, either I'm here or I'm at the church at St. Andrews at my son-in-law uh, pastor's uh, downtown. So uh, I always come to, and, and I try to get both churches if I can. I have about a three-hour sermon, uh, and, uh, and I have to somehow squeeze it into 20 minutes. And also remember the children are here and try not to bore them out of their skulls. Um, and uh, one thing that's always missing in a liturgical church is a clock. Uh, so I'll have to just look at my watch from time to time. I want to uh, kind of meander around uh, the first chapter of John that is used in the gospel reading this morning. But the, the other passages really give light on this that I want to talk about. The, there, it, it would be challenging to, uh, to explain uh, why the first chapter of John is of such immense importance to Christian faith. And it's not only what the passage says, but why it was written and, and the, the centerpiece that it, it plays in the development of Christian thought. Let me just give you the context. Uh, an aging apostle, the apostle John was the last of the apostles. Uh, uh, he wasn't the youngest, but he, he died a natural death. And so um, uh, the others had been martyred, and he lived to be an old man. And so he, he wrote this gospel uh, after he had lived a long time outside of the, the Holy Land uh, in, in Ephesus. And so he, he was writing to Greek-speaking Jews and Greek-speaking Gentiles. And he wants to introduce them, uh, he wants to introduce Christ to this Greek-speaking world uh, and many of them, he knows, will not have any background in the scriptures. Uh, even the Greek-speaking Jews may, may have some, but basically they're part of the empire. Uh, they're like a lot of our Jewish people here in this country. They, they kind of know, and they, you know, they go to Passover and whatever, but uh, they think of themselves as part of the everyday life uh, of the world around them. And so John also wants to connect Greeks uh, to his Hebrew heritage, uh, and, uh, and he wants to find ways of including them in covenant. And I want to explain why that is. Isaiah explains that. But here's an important point. The New Testament writers were viewing the Old Testament writings uh, through the reinterpretation uh, of those scriptures that had occurred during the times of the prophets. So in general, you could say the clash between uh, the Jewish people at the time of Christ and those Jews that believed in Christ, so the, the synagogue and church were separating at this time, and the difference was whether Moses interprets the prophets or whether the prophets interpret Moses. And on the Christian side, it's definitely that the prophets are interpreting Moses. We're looking at, through uh, Moses and the law, through the writings uh, and the insights of the prophets. Uh, Jesus says on several occasions, Moses says to you, but I say to you. So there's a reinterpretation going on, and Jesus is leaning in to the, the prophets. of What comes at the end of our Old Testament is interpreting what had come before then. So... Uh, 
until the prophets came, uh, most of the Old Testament, especially after Genesis 11, is about Israel nearly entirely. It's about what's happening to Israel. But the prophets uh, take, take, uh, make of Israel a core community from which radiates awareness of God into the world. And we see this in, the, in the Isaiah, the passage of Isaiah today. He's not focused just on Israel for Israel's sake, but he is focusing on Israel because God has planted something, and from this is going to spring forth something that goes into the entire earth. And so it's what we call in sociology he's, the, the differences between a bounded set community and a centered set community. So a bounded set community is as long as you're within the boundaries, you belong to us. Whatever you do, whatever you think, you belong to us. You are, you are here if you just stay within these boundaries. But a, a center set community are those that say as long as you believe and practice these things that and and uh, these uh, precious principles that we hold together, as long as you hold to these, you belong to us however you wander and meander around the world. And so this is the difference between the New Testament community and the rabbinical community, is whether we're going to be a bounded set community or a centered set community. And Isaiah clearly is saying already that, uh, that God intends for this nation to spread he wants it to go out. He wants the nation to be not just thinking about mine and ours, but to be thinking about how we can incorporate the Egyptians into this and the Syrians. And one of the prophets says, Israel is my firstborn, but Egypt is also mine and also uh, Israel and, I, and also Syria. And I won't forget Lebanon and so forth. So God is a God in the prophets that is springing out to take what has been given in Israel, and, uh, and God says they're going to see your righteousness and they're going to want this. Psalm 147, which we read today, says God hasn't given his laws to other nations. We have an obligation to share what we have with others. And so John prepares this, the ground for his project of building a bridge to the Gentiles by quoting the Greek translation of, of Genesis 1. And so uh, the in the, the Greek text of Genesis, it says, "In Archeotheos poisenteto uranun ketengin," and and I, and I wanted to say it in Greek because uh, the first um, line of God, John's Gospel begins quoting that, and he quotes these words in Arche, which we translate in the beginning, but it doesn't just mean a beginning in time. The word Arche becomes for us architecture, archaic, uh, archaeology, arch, uh, because it's about foundation and structure. Architecture is the first of the tech, uh, of the uh, techne is where we get the word technology. So the beginning of, of technology is architecture is kind of a, a way that Greek people thought of that. So it's a foundational thing. And so uh, John is taking this from Genesis 1 and saying it in Greek to the Greek-speaking world that may not have heard uh, these words before. And he says, in the beginning, uh, and then he adds a very Greek thought, the logos. And logos is translated word uh, in our Bibles and should be, but it also means blueprint. It means reason. Uh, it means all kinds of things. So 
So you could say that what John is saying here is that the very, at the very first principles of the very cosmos, the cosmic foundations, is, is, is a reason and purpose and blueprint. And then he startles us in verse 14 by saying, and the Logos became flesh and dwelt among us. And by the way, I knew him and I'm going to talk to you about him. So he lifts all this from Genesis in the beginning, and he adds this word, uh, logos, which arguably has been the most important word in, the, in, in forming Western civilization. Because in the first 500 years of, of the uh, Christian era, uh, there was constant talk about this. It's inconceivable what Christian theology and thought would have been without um, John chapter 1. And so... Uh, so this stunning revelation that that this word has become flesh, now he he is setting up uh, his telling of the story of Jesus as not only the Messiah of Israel, as Matthew has done and others, but what he wants us to know is he is the centerpiece of everything that exists, uh, that has been, that is, and that is to come. And we see this then in the rest of the New Testament, this idea playing out until finally the book of Revelation itself. But what I wanted to say, and this is why I thought it needed to be a three-hour sermon, which you would not be able to endure. Uh, But why go through all the trouble of this? Why not just say there was a little baby born in a manger and blah, blah, and and tell the story of Jesus? Why go through all the trouble of digging into the kind of the depths of Hebrew and Greek thought? And... uh, and, and I, that's what I want to get at today, because I think that's the other passages are pointing to this, that I, want, I, I believe is such a powerful and important spiritual principle. And to do that, I have to tell you about a conversation I had with my son-in-law. Um, and uh, he, uh, he's Greek, he is uh, Dutch-speaking, as you, uh, s- several of you know. And, uh, and so my uh, little grandsons speak uh, Dutch with their father in the home. And so I told him, well, I'll, I'll learn it. So I'm, I'm trying. I'm, I'm working on it. You know, at 67, it's not all that uh, easy sometimes. But so sometimes, I, I, you know, we'll talk a lot about language. And it, so I, I was just talking about language to Coase. And Coase uh, told me uh, a word that had touched him spiritually from his uh, native language uh, recently. Um, and it's the word for generosity. He was thinking about the importance of generosity and praying that God would make him a more generous person. And he was journaling, and he wrote down the word in Dutch, which was uh, raumhartig. Uh, and raum is, uh, is, means roomy or spacious. Uh, Dutch is the nearest uh, relative linguistically to English, so that you can hear all this. Heart is, me, is heart. So it's, it's, it's a roomy, spacious heart, and the IG at the end just means quality of. So it's a quality of having a spacious heart, and, and that means generosity. And he said suddenly he was comparing the English and, and the Dutch, and it, and it touched him to think that what God is after is for us to have a roomy heart. So he and I and Talitha were talking about this the other night, and Talitha remarked about in the, in the carol, Joy to the World, it says, Let every heart prepare him room. And that just reminded me of something St. Thomas Aquinas had said, that when we take God into our soul, we are opening up our finite capacity to a, a being of infinite capacity which means our being must expand to accommodate the being of God. 
That's why when the Lord says you should love your, that we should love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and secondly, that we should love uh, our neighbor as ourselves, we have to love God before we can love our neighbor because it is impossible to love our neighbors ourselves if we do not stretch our heart, if we do not make our heart roomier. Jesus said, he, he summed up the entire law of the Old Testament in that you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and you must love your neighbor as yourself. But the first thing comes first because if the first thing doesn't come, the second thing will not follow. We cannot love our neighbors ourselves without loving God with our heart, mind, soul, and strength. What we prayed in today's collect uh, is that... Uh, because you have poured upon us your infinite word, your incarnate word, you've poured into us your incarnate word, kindle in our hearts. It's the same idea, isn't it? Kindle in our hearts and shine it through our lives. You can see what's going on here. And this is, this is what John is saying has occurred that God has done in Israel he took a nation, and he worked with them for a long time, and he kindled in them. So it's not just us as individuals, but us as collective. We, we first we've, were concerned about ourselves for a long time, and maybe our whole lives, unfortunately. And then we expand to like, well, you know, I want my family to do well, too. And so we start being not quite as selfish as we take in our family and, and, uh, and our neighbors and, and, and a few friends. But then there's that weird guy across the street. Uh, how, how, what, are we, what are we going to do? What, what are we going to do with him? Or, or you know, a guy that dresses funny or eats funny foods or whatever. And especially from the standpoint of the gospel, how can we connive, contrive, and pray and and be occupied with bringing that person that is far into the covenant of God? That's what's all involved in John chapter 1. And it is, it is the very essence of, of, our, uh, uh, of our spiritual journey. Um, I, I, I'm not going to preach for three hours, so I'm going to start summing this up. Um, I read a story one time that really touched me. It made such an impact on me, and I've tried to live it out in the context of my own family. Um, it was a it, uh, it was an English professor, a woman, and she had two sons. And one son grew up loving English literature. And uh, she studied, uh, I mean, he, he loved to study her, her books and talk to her about the stories he was reading and all. But the other kid liked heavy machinery. And as they become adults, one son went, uh, followed his mom and became an English professor. And, um, and the other son opened up a John Deere tractor company. Uh, and um, so what's going to happen in this family? Obvious, the attachment of one son is going to be easier than the other, right? She started um, uh, getting uh, trade magazines for tractors and started attending... Uh, workshops and things of showing machinery and educated herself about heavy machinery 
And she said a real breakthrough with her son came one day when she called him and said, have you seen this new machine that they've made in Europe, blah, 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 and don't you think in our area this would work because blah, blah, blah. And he said, well, yeah, and he got this piece of machinery, and it really increased the bottom line of the business that year. And then it got so he would call her and say, what magazines are you reading? And, blah, and, they, and they made an attachment, and she learned to expand her interest for the sake of relationships. We're not geared naturally that way. You know, we have one kid that likes screwy stuff and you know, doesn't like the stuff we like. We just like well, our kid has, you know, screwy interests. But what if we would say, well, let me just think about that. And this, and this you know, I, we need to stretch a long way in this way. There was a, a man came to me in the church a few years ago. Uh, in Nashville, and he said, I don't know what to do. He said, my, my son's uh, reading about Buddhism. wants to be a Buddhist. What do I do? I said, let me recommend you a couple of things to read about Buddhism. What? I don't, I'm not interested in Buddhism. I said, you better get interested in Buddhism if you want to have a discussion with your son. What are you going to say? Uh, Buddhist or dumb people believe dumb things? I mean, what's going to be... What's going to be your approach there? So he did. Turned out, actually, his son was dating a Japanese girl, and suddenly Buddhism began to look very attractive. Uh, 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 you know, wasn't as complicated as it appeared. But but he did read it, and he talked to me about it, and he talked to his son. It's like, really, our faith says this the same thing. Our faith differs here. Our faith is the same here. And they had a conversation with his son, but I, I can imagine that you know if he would have if he would have thundered out about how foolish it was to even think about Buddhism or whatever, and then and and the father shows such intractable, uh, just guarded heart, it, the son is going to go deeper into his defiance, and he's uh, and the closed-heartedness of his father is going to perhaps cause his son to think well to be a Christian means one must shut down their mind and heart and, and just believe it just because to grow our hearts is something that John is saying that God himself has done in becoming a human being to live among us to become a human being it's a it's a most astounding thing I mean uh, it it ought to startle us. I mean, we know it already. We sing, we sing the songs, the incarnate God and all that. But that's what God has done. He didn't hold our trespasses against us. He revealed himself. Uh, and he still does. It, it, is a, it is a core, not just a belief and a practice, but the love. It's the love of God that comes to live in a person and ought to live in God's people. Well, a um, few years ago, long many years ago, before some of you were born, I was at Oxford for a summer uh, program a study there and C.S. Lewis studies. And a man from the BBC was there, and he told about he was Christian, that they were doing uh, C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia series on the radio. And he got a letter from a, a Hindu girl 
uh, and she said, uh, you know, dear sirs in the BBC, I'm listening to Mr. Lewis's, uh, you know, Narnia series. And she said, you know, I'm 11 or 12 or whatever she was. And she said, every time I hear it, I go to my room and I cry. There's something more to this story than what I'm understanding. Can somebody tell me what's the story behind the story? And he said he's there at the desk and he can't he can't answer this girl. It's you know he, he, he just unethical, lose his job and all that. So what does he do? He said he he's he just cries about it for days. He does write her and he says there is more to the story and 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 uh, Mr. Lewis, you could just keep reading to Mr. Lewis. He did something generic like that, but he said after a few days he had the girl's address. He, he anonymously sent her a New Testament. And he added her to his prayers. He said, and after all these years, I still do pray for her every day. That's the enlarging of heart. That's what happens when Isaiah says that the nations will see your righteousness. Oh, that the nations of the world, the atheists and the Muslims and the Buddhists and just sinful cousin Fred uh, you know whatever would see the love of God radiating out of us and not just hit a boundary every time they come to talk to us it's just they hit a wall that there's something intractable that there's something that won't give that there's something mean and hostile and hateful, hateful but they would encounter and uh, maybe something they disagree with but nonetheless something that in, almost is intoxicating almost is so inviting that they, can get, they can't get us out of their mind can't get us out of their heart that there's something so woos woos them to Christ through us through our through the way that we act, the way that we speak, the way that we think, and mostly the way that we're willing uh, to suffer rather than to inflict suffering on others, that in all of this they would see that the incarnate word has been poured out upon us, has been kindled in our hearts, and is shining through our lives. Amen.